Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Have you ever seen those big foam hands? We're number one. How big are those things usually? Right, they're pretty good size. So what? how big do you think this one is? Do you think it's that big? It's not. It's actually a tiny little one that you can put on your finger. We're number one. In fact, you could have one for each finger, probably as small as those are. A lot of people think they're big. They're number one. They want to be known as the greatest. And Uh, Now, when AJ, a couple of weeks, three weeks, we're going to have a taco night to celebrate Megan and I think AJ's going to have, wear something like that. What do you guys think? That that looks like something he'll he'll do. So it's probably insulated, so it'll keep you warm. So that'll work. So, but who does the Bible say is number one? Jesus Christ, not just God, God the Son is number one the preeminent one. And we're going to look in Colossians chapter 1 at Jesus as the preeminent one. And this morning we're going to look at several things. I'm going to try and keep moving quickly because I have a lot that I want to cover. And uh, I'm sorry that some of the chairs are behind the pillar. I don't know how that happened, but um, I used to hide behind the pillar when I was a kid so I could sleep. But if you see them falling asleep and you're sitting next to them, just smack them, okay? In a Christian way, of course. Colossians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to look at several things about Jesus. And the first is that he is the visible manifestation of God. Colossians chapter 1, look in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. He is the visible manifestation. Now, in our day, we use image differently than they did. In our day, I could show you a picture of somebody, and you think, well, that's an image of them. We could have a, a, a video of them. We could have a holograph of them. And uh, that we, you would say, oh, that's an image that lets you see a little bit of what the person is like. But Jesus is the image, the visible manifestation of God. In the beginning, before God created the heaven and the earth, the beginning that John talks about in John chapter 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Son of God, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in that beginning, before God created the heaven and the earth, there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God, totally in sync, but functioning in different ways. And then Father, Son, and Spirit were all spirit beings. They were alive. They had personality. uh, They had intellect. They had emotions. They had passion. They had wisdom. They had purpose. But they did not have bodies. They were spirit beings. And after God created the heaven and the earth, God's nature was still unchanged for thousands of years. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were still spirit beings without a body. 
And then the angel Gabriel visited Mary and he said, you're going to have a child and your child is going to be the son of God. And your child is going to grow up and deliver people from their sins. And so at the moment of conception, Jesus had a body. God the Son had a human body. And since that moment, Jesus has been the visible manifestation of God. We can't see God the Father. Maybe in heaven we will. Maybe in heaven there'll be a way for us to, maybe there'll be a a certain color uh, that has never been seen on earth and that'll be the presence of God the Father. I don't know. Uh, In heaven, we may not see the Holy Spirit. We might be able to, we might not. Uh, But we know this, in heaven, we will see Jesus and he will look like us. Will will he look exactly like me? I sure hope not. Will will he look exactly like you? No, but he'll look like a human being, like a person, like somebody who was born with Jewish heritage, probably dark-haired, probably olive skin, and, and we'll see Jesus in his resurrected body, in his glorified body, but he will be the manifestation of God. So Jesus... Although he has a body, he's still God. That's why we often call him the God-man, because he's both God and man, fully God and fully man. So Jesus is the visible manifestation of God. But verse 15 uses another phrase to describe him. It says, he is the firstborn of creation. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, In our culture, firstborn means what? Born first. Firstborn means born first in our culture. But in their culture, firstborn was more of a position of significance. So especially for the firstborn son being the son of inheritance. And firstborn was that position of honor. It was that sacred place of of, uh, honor and authority and inheritance. So in, let's just say that Clorinda panic here. Clorinda is the fourth born of uh, the Rakosi family kids, uh, but we all know that she's really the firstborn in honor, right, Tim? <laughs> she, so it doesn't matter your birth position. In fact, in the Bible, um, Who was born first, Jacob or Esau? Esau. Who was first born, Jacob or Esau? Jacob. Esau was born first, but Jacob was first born, the one who inherited. And and Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim was born first, but his grandpa, um, I'm sorry, Manasseh was born first, but his grandpa Jacob declared Ephraim to be the son of inheritance, to be the firstborn. So there was a difference. Jesus was fully God before his incarnation. He he didn't just start existing when he was conceived. That's how you started. By the way, there's some false teaching that there's spirit babies up in heaven and they're just waiting for a human body. And then when, when you conceive... 
when a woman conceives and has a kid, then God puts the, the spirit baby in heaven into that body. That's nowhere taught in the Bible. People don't exist before conception except Jesus. He existed at creation. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the one who is the most honored and most important person in all of creation. Look at verse 16. It says a little more about him. For by him all things that were all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So the third thing is that he is the creator of all things. Now, he's not the creator of sin. He's not the creator of goofiness. He's not the creator of the iPhone. But he is the creator who put all the materials in planet Earth that could be mined and harvested and used to create things like iPhones. So when God said at the beginning of creation, in Genesis chapter 1, when God said on day 1, let there be light, on day 2, let there be a firmament, on day 3, let dry land appear, and let the earth bring forth grass and trees and herbs and fruit, on day 4, let there be lights in the heavens, and he made a great light for the day and a lesser light for the night, and he put the stars in place, on day 5, when he said, let there be living creatures in the sea, how many of you love seafood? So, yeah, I like some of it, I, I like salmon, I like I'm, I've never tried calamari, and I don't plan on ever trying it, but, but there's some that I like and some that I don't. And then the birds of the air he created on that same day, the sea creatures and the birds of the air. And then on day six, then he got really serious. He made steaks. <laughs> he made beef cattle on day six. He made the cattle of the field and the creeping things, the beasts of the earth. And then God said, let us make man in our image. Every time that God said, let us do this, let it bring forth, every time he spoke something into existence, the voice that spoke was Jesus Christ. As God the Son, He spoke creation into existence. It was the voice of Jesus that said, let's make man in our image. So when Jesus stepped into humanity, it wasn't just God stepping into man's image. He was God stepping into man who was in God's image in the first place, but had messed it up and now needed to be restored. Jesus is the one who created the visible things that we can see, the birds that fly, the fish that swim, the people and animals that walk. He created all of that. He created the stars that we can only see at night. And, but he also created other things, visible and invisible. What's one of the invisible things he created? What? Hair, okay. I thought somebody was saying hair. I thought, but unless you're bald, your hair is visible. But, uh, okay, air. Yes, he created the atmosphere. He also created gravity and physics 
and math and science and language and art and thermodynamics. He even put the gold in them there hills. He created everything. When he spoke, it happened. It was done. And he pronounced it good. And then when mankind was created, he pronounced it very good. They were created, the end of that verse says, they were created through him, by him. He's the one that made it happen. And they were created for him. So all the fun little toys that we have on planet Earth, those were created from things that were created for him. So use your toys for his glory. That's why he created the stuff. Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. He brought it all into existence. By his plan, by his design, he's the creator of all the things in all the universe that exist. He spoke it into existence. The fourth thing, he holds all things together. Now, there's a story told of a lady who was in a grocery store and, and she bought some stuff. I don't remember if it was a grocery store or if it was a Circle K or something like that. But she bought some stuff and she's sitting in her car and she hears this bang of a shot. And, and she reaches up because something smacked her head. And she reaches up and she feels soft, gooey stuff. And she thinks she can feel her brain. And she's just really freaked out. And she thinks, if I let go, my brain will fall out. And so she honks the horn with her elbow. She yells. And somebody comes to help her. And they call the fire department. But her door's locked. And she will not unlock it because she can't move her hands. Because she's holding her brain in her head. And so they break the window. And they get in. And they gra gracefully pull her fingers away so they can see the brain and... Have you ever bought any of those little biscuits that you bake? And they're in this tube, and you press that tube, and it pops. One of those in her basket popped, and a slob of that stuff landed on the back of her head. And she thought she was holding her brain, and she was holding breakfast. You know, <laughs> I felt sorry for her. How do you explain to your husband? Gotta get a new window for the car, because, well, you know... Okay, she thought she was holding her brain in. I, I can't imagine the terror she felt or the embarrassment she felt afterward or the firemen. The, the, they couldn't laugh at this poor lady who was traumatized, but you know when they drove away, they probably laughed. But did you know that God holds the world together? He holds your skin on. He holds your eyeball in the socket. He holds the world together. Verse 17. And he is before all things, the preeminent position, and in him all things consist. They consist. They hold together. He's holding it all together. Our earth is spinning on its axis. And our earth is rotating around the sun. So it's spinning on its axis. 
and rotating around the sun. And there's several other planets in our solar system that are doing the same thing. And some just um, rotate, or some just circle the sun, but they don't spin around. Uh, but So we got planets that are spinning and moving in orbit, and we have our solar system itself is in motion, and our solar system is part of the Milky Way galaxy, and the Milky Way galaxy, they estimate there are at least 100 billion stars and 100 billion planets in the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy is in motion. And they estimate there are as many as 200 billion galaxies out there. Can you imagine how many things are in motion? Because on planet Earth, there's trillions and quadrillions of things all in motion all at the same time. In your body, everything's in motion. Even when you're asleep, your body's in motion. And I'm not talking about little kids who thrash around in their sleep or big kids who thrash around in their sleep. But your whole body, electrons are moving, everything's in motion, and all the universe is in motion. And it's all kept in place and kept in order and kept in orbit by Jesus. The best jugglers in the world would have trouble juggling a dozen different things. And God keeps hundreds of billions of planets and stars all in order. Massive, fiery, burning things in the sky. And they stay where he said they should stay. And they move where he said they should move. By him, all things consist. They hold together. Now, this is a universal truth. By him, everything holds together. It's also a personal truth. You hold together. He keeps your skin on. He keeps your neurons firing through your nervous system and into the synapses in your brain so that you can see me and hear me. He's making that happen. He holds everything together. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The first thing we want to see here, he is the, the head of the body, the church. Jesus Christ is the head of his church worldwide. All around the church, there's churches meeting all around the world, churches meeting today. Some of the churches we help support in Australia, they met yesterday because yesterday was Sunday for them. And all around the world, people are meeting and worshiping Jesus Christ and, and celebrating him and appreciating him. And God's in charge of all that. He is the head of the church, universal, all of us together. He's also the head of this church. Now, I put a picture up here of the church building and a little bit of the parking lot and a little bit of a rainbow up over the church building. But, but the building is not the church. The people gathered together, that's what makes it the church. When we gather together, we are the church. We use this building as our meeting place, but this building is not the church building. We call it that for ease of structure but the church is when we're gathered here together. 
In fact, I was in here the other day and I was the only one in this room. It wasn't the church. It was just the building the church will use on Sunday and other days when we gather together. He is the head of this church, meaning that we cannot do our own thing. We cannot change what we want to change. We can't arbitrarily choose to do things. We have to do things his way and his method. Now, does that mean that he picks out our music? No, but we have to use music that the lyrics and the way it's presented bring honor and glory to him. Does he sit down with me over coffee? Well, I wouldn't have coffee with him anyway. I can't drink coffee. I have a severe allergy to caffeine. But Jesus doesn't meet with me during the week and say, Terry, listen, here's what I want you to say on Sunday. Now, uh, very often I feel the Holy Spirit leading, this is what I want you to say. But that happens in my study through hours of study and labor and toil and work. Then he reveals it. But when you think about the relation between your head and your body, your ability to make your fingers move is controlled by your brain. In fact, if you have a stroke or have a traumatic brain injury, you can lose that ability to control your fingers. Some people even have a split brain problem where their brain can control the right hand but not the left hand. And so they'll sit and slap themselves with their left hand and try and control it with their right because their brain, they have to have brain surgery to try and correct that. But your brain rules over your body. The movement of your body is controlled by your brain. In fact, some of you ate food once that really didn't sit well. And every time you think of eating that food, you feel nauseated just thinking about it because your brain brings back that memory. You remember when you ate something like that 42 years ago? Well, guess what? You know, I, Kathy has a friend that ate a hot dog once and got sick, and it's been 50 years, and she still can't stand the thought of hot dog. 50 years. Your brain rules over your body. And so Jesus is the head, the brain of the church. He rules over everything, and we totally submit to him. He makes the rules, and he rules. Each of us is fully accountable to him, and each of us is supposed to represent him on planet Earth. He's the head. We're the body. We follow the head's leadership. We submit to him, all of us together. So what happens in some churches and I've seen it happen in <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> I've seen it happen in churches where good people, the pastor started teaching something different, started changing the doctrine of the church. And so they didn't want to stir up trouble, so they just quietly left. And I, I, I could tell you the address and location of a church in Phoenix that that's exactly what happened, and the good people left. 
And now that church is not there anymore. The building's there, but it's not a church anymore. There's one in Tucson across the street from the U of A or really close two blocks away from the U of A campus that used to be a Baptist church. And now it's a bar, one of the big party bars near the campus. How does stuff like that happen? Well, because the members of the body don't follow the head. The head is not the pastor. The head is Jesus. And the pastor and all the members are fully accountable to Jesus and to what he said in his word. No, it gets awkward when you have, let's just say that Evelyn, after 32 years of teaching really well, started teaching error. What would we as a church have needed to do? What would the the deacons and I would have asked her to step down? You're still welcome to attend. You're still a member. You just can't teach anymore. Why? Because we are accountable to Jesus. We follow his word, his pattern, his plan. All of us do. Praise the Lord, Evelyn never did that. We've never had to think about making asking Evelyn to step down. In fact, when she first told me she was going to, I said, you can't. The rapture hasn't happened yet. No. But he's the head of the body. All of us, especially the members of the church, have the accountability to make sure the church follows the head. Not the other way around. There's people trying to rewrite scripture to make it more comfortable for our culture. That's not what Jesus wants. So he is the head of the body. Then it says something else right after that. What does it say in verse 18? He's the head of the body, the church, and he's the firstborn from the dead. Verse 18, he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The beginning is his positional place. He is the first one who was raised to eternal life. Now, when Jesus was on the earth, he raised several people from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter. He raised the widow of Nain's son, who was the guy that he raised, who was a friend of his. Lazarus, he raised him from the dead. When Jesus rose from the grave, uh, other people came out of the grave as well, people who were believers, who had followed him. We don't know their names or how many there were. In, in the, elsewhere in the New Testament, we find the apostle Peter was raising someone from the dead, a lady who ministered to other ladies. Her name was Tabitha. And then there was also a, Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. And there's different times in Scripture where people were raised from the dead. Go all the way back into the Old Testament and we find the prophets, uh, some of the great prophets raising people from the dead. But everyone who rose from the dead until Jesus, every one of them then died again. They lived and they died. Jesus, when he was raised, he was raised to life eternal. He was raised to never, ever die again. He was raised in his glorified body. Poor Lazarus, he had to die once from sickness, and the Bible doesn't say how he died again, but we know he did, because otherwise he'd be here and be 2,000 years old. Uh, he died again. And, and other people who came back, they ended up dying again later. 
But Jesus is the first of all who was raised to eternal life to never die again. The firstborn from the dead. And then the end of verse 18 and verse 19 say he's the preeminent one. That in, wait, are you reading? Are you reading in verse uh, 18, the end of verse 18? Do you see that part where it says that in all things? Okay, say it with me. That in all things he may have the preeminence. Now listen to verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness that should dwell that in all things he might have preeminence. Kathy and I were talking about that this morning at breakfast. We were talking about how do you make Jesus first in all things? Sometimes that's a challenge. Sometimes it goes against our human nature. It goes against the nature of our flesh. We, we want to have him be in charge of our eternal soul, we want to have him be in charge of when we're sick to heal us, but we don't always want him to be in charge of what we watch on TV or what we allow to percolate in our brain or whether or not we go and minister to other people in his name. We, we want a pass on some of that. But he is the preeminent one. In the Bible, there's different descriptions of Jesus that show his preeminence, his prominence, his firstbornness, his position of honor. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the great high priest. He is the morning star, the good shepherd, the chief cornerstone, the Lord of glory. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Colossians 1.19, we just read, all the fullness dwells in Him. Colossians 2.9, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Look in verse 20. And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, by Jesus, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. We looked at His blood and His cross last week, but Jesus pulls all of us together. He, he alone is able to reconcile all things to himself. See, apart from Jesus, as soon as you sinned when you were a little kid, humanly speaking, we would have called you innocent. But God says kids are born with a sinful nature. You don't have to teach kids to be bad. It just happens automatically. You know, you can't say, well, I learned to be bad by watching my older brother or my older sister. You learn to be bad because in your heart, you have a selfish heart and we're born with a sinful nature. But he is the preeminent one. He is he's ahead of all things and he can take lost and hell-bound sinners and he can have them receive the gift of salvation and they become saints of God and people serving him. And he transforms hearts and lives. And he gives us some dramatic illustrations in Scripture of Peter, who was a big mouth worrywart. Master, don't you care? And then later on, Peter writes in his book, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Take John and James, who were uh, apostles as well, and they were the sons of thunder. 
Now, they, they were the manifestation of thunder. That's the sons of, that's what it meant. These were angry, big, bully kind of guys. And then John became known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. At the end of the first century, John was called John the Beloved, not John the Hothead. Christ changed him. And what a dramatic change with the Apostle Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus, the mean-spirited, angry guy. You disagreed with him, he wanted to put you to death. He didn't just want to out-argue you. He wanted to pummel you and trounce you and put you to death. And he even went out of his way. He made a journey in, you know, days of walking, long journey, arduous journey. Not like in our day, you can load up in your car and drive 100 miles in no time at all. But in that day, it was a big, huge journey. And he did it so he could arrest people he had never met, never seen, but they disagreed with him. So he was going to make them pay. And then he became such a loving guy that he wrote in one of his letters to the church in Rome. He said, if it was possible, I would be willing to go to hell so that they could be saved. He transforms people. He redeems us unto himself. He reconciles us to him so that when we stand before God in heaven, we do not stand as guilty sinners worthy of hell. We stand as saved followers of Jesus worthy of heaven because Jesus reconciled us to himself. He is able to reconcile you and everyone else. He is the central figure in all of human history. The central person in the scripture, in fact, the central person in the Godhead. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior. But you and I have to put him first in our own lives. We have to do the work of putting him first. It doesn't just happen automatically. We have to point our lives to him. So <clears throat> I don't know why it always happens in the middle of a sentence, but it does. Here's some things that you can do to help make him preeminent. Spend time every day praying to the father in the name of the son. Talk to God in the name of Jesus. That's how Jesus said we're supposed to pray. And you can do that every day. Spend some time doing that. Spend some time every day thinking about his desires and his dreams for your life. Instead of thinking, what do I want? I want to get what I want. No, think about what he wants. Just think about it. His hopes, his desires, his dreams for humanity, and particularly for your life. Spend some time every day reading the scripture. Now, some of you really struggle with reading, so listen to the scripture. You can get an audio book. You can listen to it on, on audio. You can get free audio book of the Bible. And there's some passages of scripture that are really hard for me to focus on because I have ADHD. And there's, there's sometimes it's really hard to focus, so I listen to it while I read it at the same time. And it really helps me focus better. You get more of your senses involved in it, the easier it is. Megan has her girls write out the scripture sometimes to write it on paper, because now you're not only 
thinking it in your head, you're reading it with your eyes, now you got your touch going, you got multiple senses involved in it, and it helps you not only learn it, but then remember it. I, I don't do anything that requires handwriting because that hurts. But, but spend some time every day reading, writing, or listening to God's Word to focus your attention on the plans and priorities that God has. And then when you mess up, notice I say when, not if, you're still in the flesh. And John said, if you say you're not a sinner, you make God a liar. Then he says, if you really believe you don't sin, you deceive yourself. We all struggle. We're going to fail. When you fail, then you confess your sins. And when you confess your sins, what does he do? He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He can reconcile you not only in salvation when you first receive the gift of salvation, but he can reconcile you this afternoon when you ask his forgiveness and he forgives you. Because he is the preeminent one. So in all of scripture and all of creation for all time and for all eternity, Jesus is the preeminent one but only you can make him the preeminent one in your own heart and life. Only you can do that. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes lots of course corrections because you're going to get battered by the winds of life. Satan's going to do everything he can to push you off track. And you have to choose to make him preeminent in your own heart and life. Now, in heaven, we're going to get it right all the time. On earth, we can get better at it, but we're going to struggle with it. Let me tell you, just don't give up the struggle. Don't say, I just can't. Say, I blew it. God, forgive me. I'll try again. And if Jesus said, if you have to forgive somebody else, till 70 times 7, just keep, then you have to realize God's willing to forgive you over and over and over. He doesn't want you to choose to sin, but when you do and you self, you correct yourself back to his pattern, his way, giving him preeminence, God will bless and enrich your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who Jesus is. We thank you for what Jesus did when he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. We thank you for what Jesus is doing now. He's interceding for us before your throne. We thank you for what he's doing now. He's preparing a place in heaven for us. We thank you for what he will do someday. He will call us home. He will welcome us home. We thank you for who Jesus is for what he has done, is doing, and will do. And we ask your grace and strength to make him the preeminent one, not just in the universe at large, but in our own little universe, our heart, our lives, our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, 
or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.